So these folks need to go hands-on and try this stuff out because we're still early enough that there's an opportunity for small and medium businesses to carve out that niche for themselves and become the de facto spoken answer on this topic, the de facto expert that is being pulled forward in voice answers. And it's a relatively accommodating, approachable scenario for a small business. They can move faster. And those smaller areas, niche areas, tend to be more profitable for smaller businesses than for larger companies. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 120. Today we'll be talking with Dwayne Forrester, Vice President of Industry Insights with Yext, a knowledge management company. Our focus will be aligning your business to claim the lead position in mobile online search response and further understand the role voice digital assistants will play starting now. Good morning, Dwayne. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Hey, thanks, Greg. Great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you on board. Dwayne, what's not working for the business owner when it comes to information about them and their business on the various digital medias? I'm going to say it's just the sheer volume that they have to accommodate and manage today. My company, when we put information out on behalf of a business, it's north of 200 locations that get maintained through that system. And if you think about the average small business, you can do all of this. It's a time component. I mean, how much of your time is spent maintaining all that information and then making sure over, say, a six-month period that that information doesn't drift, but the information that you put out there is accurately reflected in every database that's out there in all of these different businesses and systems that are collating this information and sharing it around. We see that data drift all the time small business owner might not be thinking about it a whole lot. I had an experience just yesterday. I wanted to go to a movie and this is a brand name movie theater. I looked them up on Google Maps and it's a third party website that's showing up on the local listing to give me information about that theater. And I'm thinking, why is that? Because there's no movie listings. I could find no indication of what was playing at that theater until I actually agreed to buy tickets for movies. And then it would start giving me the listings of tickets. And I was like, that's incorrect. I should have the official website in here. But for some reason, the third-party website is deemed to be the most reliable, not the business's website. And whether that's a small company, a local company, a large company, a multinational company, that has a big effect on consumers. I mean, consumers right now, it's all about mobile If I'm a small business, the things that I'm focused on are my social footprint. I'm focused on building up a good visual presence, whether that's on both of Instagram and YouTube. I'm focused on making sure my data is accurate. So if there's a holiday weekend coming up and I'm changing my hours of operation for that, make absolutely certain your website reflects that. The search engines pick it up and then it goes onto their maps and then consumers are finding that. And if you tell me you're open on a holiday Monday and I show up on Monday to do some shopping and you're not there, you compound my disappointment because I expect my phone to give me instant accurate results. And when it fails, 
the last person in that chain is you, the business. So you get all of my disappointment. And then I come back and think, well, okay, Google was given the wrong information. Maybe the other businesses are more accurate. And now I'm immediately moved away from your brand and your company, and I'm looking at somebody else, which naturally is a competitor because Google is listing everybody who's in the same category to me. So what do you do in that scenario? So you were talking about this idea that, in the example you gave of the movie theater, for instance, that the website for the business itself was not prominent enough in search that you're basically yielding information control over to these other third-party aggregators that are sprinkled across the web. So what can you do to prevent that? And as a second part to that question, is that a bad thing if the correct information is there? Okay, I'm going to tackle this in reverse order, actually. And so in the example of the movie theater, something that we have to examine and acknowledge is, what if this is a partnership with that third-party company? And the actual movie theater chain has opted to have the third-party website as their de facto location. Because in their world, we don't want to give away information. We want to sell tickets. And if the third party is better at selling tickets than the brand is, it makes perfect sense that we see this. For the consumer, there's a moment of cognitive dissonance because I expect to go to the brand's website and that's not where I end up. So this has to be bridged at some point. Now, if you're a big enough brand, and in this case, it's a movie, maybe it doesn't really matter because as a consumer, I just want tickets to crazy rich agents. And there we go. And I don't care about the brand experience. And I just want to go see the movie. But as a business, the things you have to do. So you've got to have your basic search engine optimization in place. We're talking about the usual best practices for your website. You have to be mobile friendly. You have to be secure today. You want to make certain that you are answering questions, that you are authoritative, and that this is known as your official website. And you can do that discreetly by doing things like if you have a Facebook page, it links back to your main web page for your business. If you have an Instagram account, it notes that. And then on the official web page for that business, you're noting these social spaces as well. And so that kind of creates this dimensional linking that happens to tell the consumer and by extension, the search engines and Amazon and everybody else that this is the ecosystem for this business. This is where you can find my videos. This is where you can find my imagery. This is where you can find information about products, services, menu items, whatever. And it's a very insular, tiny little ecosystem only for the business, but it's a very powerful signal that all of it is interrelated. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It makes me think about how we talk about in leadership, building trust is a lot about the congruency between who you think you are and who other people think you are. And so exactly what you're talking about, if there's congruency with how you're showing up in these different places, people will trust your brand. And it's an almost subconscious moment. I mean, I come from a search engine and there's so much data available inside a search engine that supports these things. And search marketers have known this for a long time. If you have an organic listing and you're say number one or number two in the organic rankings, and you have a paid advertisement on that same search results page. So you're at the top of the page or you're at the top of the right-hand stack when those ads were there, there was an increase in consumer confidence in your business when they saw you rank organically and you could afford to pay to be the number one paid ad. There's a feeling that okay, well, I don't necessarily have to trust you because you can afford to be here. And then automatically that trust is increased 
because you feel like a going concern. You feel like a professional business. You have a marketing budget. You're spending it on advertising. And consumers, even consumers who don't know marketing, understand the cycle of spending money on ads to drive sales. And so it's almost subconscious that every consumer is programmed to understand if you can afford to be here, then you must be legitimate. And then they immediately go and click on the organic ranking because that's what they trust. Yeah, that's interesting how that signaling is. And it, it sounds like you're talking about two specific strategies. You, one strategy that's necessary is your organic side. And then, of course, yes. equally important is what is your paid strategy? What are you doing to pull Absolutely. people in through that channel? Absolutely. And, and, you know, and today we need to extend this, right? Because it's not just search, it's social. There's organic social and paid social. And it makes complete sense if you have a unique product and, you know, you have a good price point on it. It makes complete sense that you might do a paid Instagram campaign to showcase this product to get more awareness. And that has a knock-on effect of either driving people to your website or driving people through your door. And ultimately, it's a relatively modest investment in marketing budget. I mean, if it's me, I'm not paying people to manage my SEO. I'm doing the basics on my own. And then I'm using my money in these paid social areas to drive engagement with cohort groups that are targeted. And those audiences are known to respond to this type of advertising. That's a much more effective way of spending your time and money. And I think for small businesses, especially, you know, one of the things that kind of need to keep their heads wrapped around clearly is they are a small business only if they believe they are a small business. No one else is going to look at them and say, you are a small business. What I mean by this is if you have a website, you are capable of transacting commerce globally. You are capable of pulling in customers from around the nation, even though you might be a local store. And this is true in almost every industry. It's difficult for a restaurant, for example. However, there are a countless number of restaurants who sell proprietary products via their website so that consumers can have that experience of food in their own home. And then you've got the delivery services. There's a company called uh, Gold Belly that literally delivers food overnight from your favorite restaurants around America. So if you absolutely have to have a Lou Malnati's deep dish pizza out of Chicago, they will get it to your doorstep overnight. And well, I've you're, done this. You're, reading, you're reading my mind like that's exactly right. what I was saying. I was like, how do I get deep dish to my house? Right. And this is how you do it. So now in that instance, it's a third party fulfillment service and it's a partnership agreement between those two businesses. But there's nothing stopping any business from doing this. Go to your local UPS store. Have them cold pack this stuff and deliver it overnight. The consumer is ultimately going to pay the shipping cost on it. And if the consumer wants to pay more for the shipping than they paid for the pizza, well, that's fine. Because who doesn't want a $100 pizza every now and then? <laughs> well, there certainly are people that do. Dwayne, this brings up recent readings regarding customer expectations and their standards. When the web was young and when commerce was young on the e-commerce base, their tolerance as a consumer was wide because it was just in its infancy, just getting started, and we tolerated a lot. And as consumers, those standards are rising every day. And as Shai was mentioning, this congruency and consistency of how do I measure three choices for whether it be a restaurant or anything else, or to buy hardware for our next build that we're doing? 
how do mm-hmm. I get to know that company? And this large inconsistency of what our experience is, of what we're seeing, feeling, and hearing now as far as with our voice devices, how is that represented? And like we're saying, managing the quality of that public information and the consistency of it. You've been doing this for quite some time, and what have you seen the trends happening, and where do you see it today and tomorrow? Generally, the trend is that business and business data lags behind consumer expectation, but often consumers are very fleeting in their focus. They want it now. They want it instantly. They want it in context of this moment because it matters to the consumer at that moment, and then after that, they forget about it. And then what that leads to is unless you continually fail, like if you fail someone three or four times, they're going to remember that you're a failure to them and then they'll just ignore you. But if you actually say fail them twice and then the third and fourth time you delight them, now they suddenly love you because there's a familiarity with you. And most consumers in America, because this is America, they love an underdog. So if they feel like you've dug yourself out of a hole They have a warm and fuzzy feeling about that. And again, it's a very subconscious moment, but we're talking about a consumer wandering around with a phone in their hand, making decisions that impact their lives. Their sole focus is not on the phone. Their focus is on whether it's environmental factors, like I'm outside and, you know, I shouldn't walk into the traffic lane and get myself killed. Or it may be as simple as I'm trying to buy this product while I'm cooking dinner in my kitchen and my kids are yelling at the television. It's all of those moments that consumers are very fleetingly focused. And so there's opportunity there to kind of slide in and delight them. And consumers get used to whatever they happen to discover at any given moment. So on a monthly basis, you know, they may download, you know, a half a dozen or 10 new apps. They might use two of them in six months time. So it's there in the background. I'm aware of it, but it's not life changing. It's not that big of a deal to me. And ultimately, what ends up happening is we have this moment where you as the business then have a bit of breathing room to get your information accurate. Now, I think it's less about chasing what the consumer is doing because the consumer is less focused on you as a business. They're more focused on their own life. So as long as you provide useful information, useful products and services at the moment that it matters to the consumer, you're going to be fine. What you have to be careful of, though, is your competition. Because there is a game here of slightly better than others. So if you are a little bit better than your competition, you'll be at the top of the pack right until one of them steps forward and steps ahead of you. And now you're falling behind again. And so there is that kind of brinkmanship that happens. So for most businesses, the way to get around this is to simply step forward and say, I'm claiming all my information. I'm managing my data footprint. This concept is known as digital knowledge management, DKM. And the idea is that you're going to identify every facet, every piece of information that you can consider a digital asset for your business. And we're talking everything from name, address, phone number, hours of operation. We're talking about PDFs. We're talking about videos on YouTube. We're talking about interviews with the owners. We're talking about anything at all that is a piece of information that points to your business that a consumer might have an interest in. You identify all of those and you create a matrix of where they are and you maintain that. When you do that, you essentially set the bar much higher than your other competitors. Unless, of course, they're doing it, in which case you're on par with everyone. And then you're just back into the race of content and engagement. And content and engagement is something that you know every business is used to that by now. 
Dwayne, who are a couple businesses out there that really impress you today that are doing it well? So one company that I will say is doing a fantastic job, Casper, for example, the group that does the mattresses. These guys are fantastic. They are literally carving out a niche. They are on top of everything that they know is going on. They are on top of every consumer trend that is happening, and they're using that to feed all their advertising and everything else that they need to focus on from a consumer perspective. Another group that I'm going to call out on this is going to be Target. Target does an exceptionally good job of focusing its advertising on just the right demographics at the right time. And it's amazing. If you think back when we were all young and we were growing up and we were going to McDonald's, as kids, you wanted to go to McDonald's. You wanted the food. The smell got you very interested in being there. They had toys for children. They came along with the playgrounds. It was very much, if we attract the kids, the parents will follow. And today, we see advertising from companies like Target that go in the other direction. The ad is less targeted at the kids. It's more targeted at the parents. The music is spot on for the nostalgia, you know, pull these chimes on my heartstrings. And it gets me every time one of those ads come on, I want to hear the song. It's a cover of a song that I used to love when I was young. It makes me pay attention to it. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's focused on that ad on the television. They're liking the colors. They're liking the interaction. It's positive. It just lands very well. And they've been on a roll like this for a while. And if you engage with them on social media, they're very engaging. They post up stuff on Instagram and they talk to you. And there's a lot of companies out there that are doing really well with this. I think it was Kohl's, the retailer, where if you interacted with them on Instagram, you accumulated points. And then you could use those points to shop in the store. I mean, that's a direct reward program. And all you're doing is thumbing through their Instagram feed, liking things and engaging with them and having a conversation. And a lot of folks that are fashion conscious, they're doing that anyhow, and they're getting rewarded for it. So there's a lot of good examples out there of companies that are moving in the right direction. So Dwayne, let's say I'm a chaotic company that is doing well, but I haven't really managed the media side of the equation for my brand and consistency. And mm -hmm. what are a couple of the first steps that I should be taking right away? So first thing you're going to do is you're going to leave the office. You're going to sit down in a quiet space where you don't have access to your phone and people can't come and interrupt you. And you're going to create a list of everything that you consider to be a digital asset for your company. And like I mentioned earlier, this is very straightforward. The usual stuff will be easy to fill in. Name, address, phone number, hours of operation, the products and services that you offer, how long you've been in business, the service areas that you have, if that's a consideration the history of the company, the story of the company, any local interviews, any interviews at all that the owners or managers of the business have been involved in, links to those things, YouTube videos, uh, images that you might have, whether it's on Facebook or um, Instagram, you're going to create an inventory of all of this. And when you have that inventory, you're now going to be in a much better place to say to yourself, which of these assets can I amplify? And so at that moment, you have to ask yourself, am I ready to step forward? So if your website is old, if it's out of date, you need to fix that. Just get your website up to date. Make sure it's clean and crisp and you can easily maintain it. I am a big fan of using WordPress for websites. It's super simple to use. It doesn't require a lot of overhead. The costs are completely manageable. So to me, that's a great starting point. And then 
you deploy all those pieces, those digital assets, you make sure that it's there. Now, you can skip the website part. You can do this on Facebook. You can do this on any number of locations. But you have to make sure that that data is accurate and the same everywhere. So this is a bit of a cleanup. That's what we're into first off, is making sure all that data is the same. Email addresses match across all these places. Phone numbers are the same across all these places. Address, hours of operation, all of that information should all be the same. You have to make sure that you've claimed your business listing if you're a local business, that you've claimed those listings in Google My Business and Bing places. You've got to go in and physically do that. Keep those usernames and passwords somewhere safe so you have access to them. Don't just hand this over to a third party or pay someone to go do it for you. I've lost track of the number of companies I've met who, oh, we have a guy who does that for us. We pay him $200 a month. And then I go on their website and their website's unusable or the phone number's incorrect. I don't know what you're paying 200 bucks a month for, but it's clearly not managing your information. So that's a baseline thing. And you can do that. That should take you no more than three or four hours total to create this list of everything that you have and then to go through and make sure everything is accurate. And then after that, it becomes a monthly cycle of double checking it. And that's minutes to go through that cycle. If there's an error, if something has changed or something's out of date, go ahead and update it. That's pretty straightforward. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I know what my consumer experience is looking like. So I'm going to be using my phone. I'm going to be on my website. I'm going to be on my competitors' websites. I am going to be going through all of this like a consumer would be. And I want to see what that experience looks like. And I want to find ways that I think I can improve that experience. And this is where pick up your phone and use it. Use your friend's phone. Talk to your staff and have them do these things on different devices. Because how this renders on an iPhone versus an Android phone might be slightly different. And you want to make sure that it's a good experience in both cases. This is also a great time then. Go and buy yourself an Amazon Echo product. Get that up and running so that you can understand how voice works and how you fit into that scenario and how you can take advantage of that scenario. So that's kind of like a second layer to it. A third layer is simply stepping forward and saying, I'm going to consistently devote X number of hours each week to Instagram or Facebook, and that's it. Now, throughout all of this, something that I have not mentioned that you absolutely have to nail every time is customer service. Social media, most consumers are using it as a platform to seek customer service. So instead of complaining that somebody's posting on Facebook and not emailing you, just respond to them on Facebook. Even if they're complaining about something, even if they have a problem with your product or service, you being seen to try to fix the problem is almost as powerful as you actually fixing the problem. You will build more confidence with other consumers if you are seen to try to fix that problem. So you have to stay on top of that as well. Dwayne, those are all really great points. And it really helps to get us to think about, you know, how to systematically walk through and check these boxes and think about where we're focusing. You mentioned in there this idea of voice and how people are now interacting with these products that are in our homes. And we know this is going to grow. How important is this right now? And what do we need to be thinking about as we develop a strategy to make sure we're showing up properly through voice-enabled products? Okay, so I'll tackle this by saying the way and the how you show up is fairly well known at this point. There's a concept, it's called the answer box or position zero. If you ask a question in either Google or Bing, 
and the question brings back an answer box at the top of the page with a clear answer to the question. That answer box, if you went into a voice scenario, the information in that answer box, 80 plus percent of the time is what's spoken out loud. So the way you get spoken out loud then is to be in that answer box. And if you look this stuff up, there are best practices for that. So we're talking about things like deploying structured data. You want to look to a website called schema.org. It's S-C-H-E-M-A.org. That is a joint website between Google and Bing. It has a, quote, language, end quote, that you can use to identify objects on your website, such as name, address, phone number, and so on. And then they trust those signals from your website. So then those become elements that can be spoken out loud when a consumer asks a question. So there's a bunch of technical work to do on that side, but it's all well known. And then, and this is probably the biggest bang for the buck area that a business can focus on, is the quality of the answer. If we're having a conversation about something and I ask you, how do I tie a tie? And you say to me, oh, it's easy. You put a knot in this piece of fabric and you put it around your neck. Okay, well, you know, technically that's an answer to the question. It's not the answer that I want or need. And I may not know that as a consumer, but you as the person answering the question know the difference. So instead, you're going to take the long way around and explain, you hold this piece, the long piece in your left hand, the short pieces in your right hand, you come around here, you create a loop, you go up, over, and down through the loop, and you pull tight. If that's not right, you pull it apart, and you, you alter the position where you put the loop on. There's a very much more detailed step-by-step process for tying a tie. And so if you take the effort to answer those questions in depth and then think about what's the logical follow-on question. So if I have a product, the example that I often use is buying a convertible. If you have a convertible, you know, people, when they're selling the car, they sell you on the lifestyle. They sell you on the image of the convertible. You're going to look magnificent with the wind in your hair, buy this car. You know what they don't talk to you about is that you're going to need a jacket because you've got no roof over you, so it's going to get cold faster, uh, that you're going to need sunscreen because you've got no roof over you and you're going to get baked by the sun. You're going to need to have more water in the car with you because you are going to dehydrate. You are going to need sunglasses. You are going to need a hat. They don't talk about all these things. But if I'm selling a convertible and I want to be useful to the consumer, I'm explaining the totality of what this purchase means to them. That's true usefulness. And that's what consumers respond to today. That's what the search engines are looking for. So you've got to dive deep on those things. And in the world of voice, that matters a great deal. Having short answers doesn't work in voice. It's like if I ask a complex question to you, how does an airplane fly? Just looking at me and saying physics, okay, that doesn't really explain to me how the airplane flies. You have to go into the detail. And that's what works in voice. It's also what's going to work in visual. We start to see that now with Amazon Show, where it has a screen built into it. And Google is partnered with Lenovo. They have a product out now. And rumor has it, Google may bring their own product to market later this year with a screen on it. And this is a huge step forward because right now there's not a lot of commerce happening. People aren't buying on voice. They're reordering things that they've already purchased via voice. But it's difficult to discover new products because if I ask you to show me a blue sweater, you can describe the blue all you want to me. I need to know, is it cobalt blue or sky blue? You need to explain that. And even when you tell me it's cobalt, is that closer to navy or is it closer to royal? So visual trumps in those situations. And we're starting to see that shift. 
And businesses need to be aware of this, right? Consumers spend most of their time engaged on their mobile devices today. That's why the search engines have shifted to a mobile-first index. Uh, That's how consumers want to get information. They're seeking out information on their phones. You have to actually appear to be useful in those situations. Voice. We all, as humans, speak four times faster than we can type. And as populations age, voice engagement is growing at a rapid rate with elderly populations because it's a whole lot easier than trying to type on a tiny keyboard on a phone. So voice is here to stay. It is growing rapidly. My biggest piece of advice to a business is get yourself the objects and use them. Buy the Google Home, buy the Amazon Echo. We're talking about a $20 investment here. And start using these things to uncover what a consumer's journey looks like. And I'll give you one really cool thing that you need to explore if you have one of these devices. Go to your Amazon device and say, Alexa, let's chat. When you say that, you open up a completely different user experience on the back end of Alexa. And that user experience is actually a competition that universities compete in to see who can build a system that is capable of holding long-term conversations with humans. You're not going to mistake this for anything other than Alexa. You're not going to think you're talking to a human being. But I have had conversations in excess of 40 minutes with my Amazon Alexa in that Let's Chat platform. And that gives you an insight into the systems that these companies are building for consumers. And as consumers become used to the idea of digital assistants that chat with them, getting voice answers back and forth, being able to ask for what they want out loud and get it, that expectation is going to transfer to a business. And if you're not providing them with the answer or your product isn't showing up immediately, they're going to accept whatever is because that's the easiest path forward for a busy consumer. Wow. The idea of voice search is just so exciting to think about where that might take us, especially as the population ages and and what that might make possible and makes me realize that our conversation is now coming to an end. But we certainly have really enjoyed having you today, Dwayne. Been really insightful and just want to know if you have anything else you'd like to uh, leave for our listeners. Well, I appreciate the time today, guys. This has been fantastic engagement with you guys. One thing that I will suggest folks go read is I actually wrote a, uh, we'll call it a white paper. It's a small book. It's on how voice search changes everything. Uh, It's freely available. It's just a download. Drop your email in, off it goes. You'll get access to this thing. And it's a really good overview of the major components of voice today, why it's important. There's some really good stats in there that help build the story. And then that becomes kind of a really good jumping off point to dive deeper into the world of voice. Our guest today has been Dwayne Forrester, Vice President of Industry Insights with Yext. You can learn more about Dwayne, as well as find links to his website and download offer on our show notes at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, we would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.